On the evening that Jesus has the Last Supper with his disciples, there are some important events that go down that set the stage as we prepare for Good Friday and Easter. And so we're just gonna jump in and dig into um, a couple of different texts today. Now, if you're new to faith, we're so glad that you are with us and we invite you to jump into the discussion with us online. If you're streaming this, you can um, join in with the, with the chat on the side as well as you can ask for prayer from one of our moderators. You can also always message us on Instagram if you wanna connect with us and let us know um, how we might be able to serve you right now. We're just so glad that you are here with us. And if you've been around faith for a, for a long time, I also wanna acknowledge that celebrating Maundy Thursday and Holy Week um, today is a little bit different than usual and not celebrating communion together can feel a little bit odd and um, it is odd. It's odd. Um, it's an odd time to be the church. It's an odd time to figure out life as a family and work. At the same time, I think there's a profound connection to what Jesus says during the meal when he tells the disciples, he actually says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And so this meal is celebrated, yet there's also this longing and waiting until they would be able to actually celebrate it together again. And, and, and so I want us to think about that and that be the context for us as we dig into this celebration of the Last Supper. And so I'm going to start in Luke 22, and we're going to then go to John a little bit later. In Luke 22, it says this, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money, so he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them, apart from the crowd. Now, I highlight this as we enter into this Last Supper, because I think it's really important in our 21st century, well-educated world, particularly while we are going through a global pandemic, there is an enemy at work. There's an enemy at work in the life of Jesus in this last meal. And now, for some of you, you don't really like to think about that or talk about that. For many of us, we don't really like to acknowledge that there's an enemy, that there um, is a devil. And now when I say that, when I say enemy or Satan, I'm not talking about this guy with a pitchfork and a red suit. Um, but Jesus believed that there was an actual enemy. And the word Satan is not really actually his name even. It's just a title, a title that means accuser or enemy. And now I don't know about you, but I can tell you that over this past week, I've experienced some accusations, right? If Satan means an accuser, I've felt the accusations, the lies. There are days where I'm just feeling bombarded by that. I hear the accusations about the kind of husband and father I am right now, or right now work feels a little bit different. Like even preaching isn't the way that like I feel like it's supposed to be. And so I'll hear all these lies being hurled at me, questioning who I am and what I'm called to do or what, what the value of what I offer is. And maybe you felt that too. Maybe the noise in your home um, is making you question whether or not does God hear you right now? Is God with you? Is God speaking to you? Or maybe in the loss of work or the potential loss of it, the enemy is making you question, who are you apart from what you do? Like, do you still offer value? Can you still provide for your family? Or maybe in the midst of fear and anxiety, maybe the enemy is accusing you with thoughts and those thoughts will spiral out of control into the night. The Bible calls this enemy also the liar. And there is an enemy at work in our life in these moments. And also there's an enemy at work in this 
in this last week in the life of Jesus. Now, here's what's incredible in this Passover feast moment for Jesus. He goes to fight against the enemy. He's no longer in this mode of my time has not yet come. He's ready for the fight. He's ready to throw down in this moment. And so Judas has already decided he's going to hand Jesus over for some money. Jesus and his 12 closest friends are having this meal together and some significant things happen. And it's in this context that Jesus has this meal and he, and he takes the bread. And when he had taken the bread and he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup after he had eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He eats with them. He eats with all of them. And he gives of himself with them. And he serves them. And then in John 13, which is recording a lot of the same conversation, it's just a different perspective in it. Um, in John 13, there's this conversation that Jesus has on this evening. It records a statement that Jesus makes in the midst of washing the disciples' feet and predicting Peter's denial of him and Jesus being filled with the enemy. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's actually that that command is where the name Maundy Thursday comes from. It's not it's not just oh this is two days at once Monday and Thursday. Um, the, that phrase Maundy Thursday comes from the words a new command. It's a new mandate to love one another, and I love it because what Jesus says it's by your love for one another that people will know you're my disciples. Right now in this world in the midst of a t pandemic, the way that people will know you follow Jesus is by your love for one another. Now, I want to jump a little bit further in the Gospel of John because John actually records this whole conversation, this whole discourse um, that Jesus has with the disciples, and it's all unpacking what does it look like for them to be the kind of people who love like Jesus loves. And so Jesus is telling them that he's not going to be with them in the way that they're used to, and that's okay, um, but he wants to, them to know about what life will look like when Jesus isn't around in a way that they're so familiar and they're so used to. And so he makes this amazing promise that I think is significant for them. And it's significant because in just a couple days, they're about to feel really alone. They're suddenly going to be scattered from one another. They're going to do some things that they regret. They're going to be confused and everything they thought they knew will be different. And so Jesus in John chapter 16 then says this, but... Because I have said these things to you, sorrow or grief has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, or the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, and that all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So Jesus makes a statement, acknowledging that there is some pain and there is sorrow, because grief comes before the joy. The disciples are grieving. They are expecting the loss, or at least at this point, there's probably some level of denial. They don't fully understand. When you see the interaction of the disciples, you don't quite see the weight and the loss of the pain until maybe in, in what's about to come. And Jesus doesn't say it won't be painful. Jesus understands there is a weight and there is loss and there is pain in the days ahead. Jesus knows it is painful. It is so painful. But he also makes this incredible promise in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the grief. There is an advocate. There is a helper who is coming to you. Maybe you're feeling a little bit of grief right now. Maybe you've lost something that was supposed to happen this year. Graduation. A job. Maybe a, maybe a birthday party. Maybe the money you were supposed to make. And that's normal right now to experience grief, to have your emotions be in a whirlwind. Some days you're angry, other days you're crying, other ways you feel numb to everything. That's normal too. That's, that's what grief is. And so Jesus, as he's preparing his disciples for grief that's going to come alongside of his own death, he says, there's an advocate coming. And he says, what's coming is actually better than what's present. Now, just in case you're not catching the significance of Jesus saying that, Jesus is what is present. So think about that. How does it get better than Jesus? Jesus seems to suggest, though, that what they're about to receive is better than what they've already experienced. And they've already experienced, right, miracles, the teachings of Jesus, conversations with Jesus. And Jesus says it's going to get better. The advocate, the counselor, the helper is coming. The Holy Spirit is a lot better than we give him credit for. And see, as the disciples enter into the darkest moments of their life, in advance of the rebellion that Jesus already knows is going to happen as they betray him, right before the tears and the brokenness and the loss, Jesus promises an unbelievable gift. Let me reemphasize that one more time for you, just so you see the weight. In the darkest moments of your life, in the midst of rebellion, in the midst of tears, in the midst of the darkness, Jesus promises you the Holy Spirit. In the darkness, God speaks. In our rebellion, God speaks. In our tears, God speaks. Before we sin, while we sin, after we sin, God speaks. When we forget it, he speaks. When we're not listening, he speaks. When we don't believe it, he speaks. I know they couldn't handle it then, but Jesus says it's more than you can now bear. He says, but I've got so much more to say to you. And so what if, as we prepare to celebrate the death of Jesus on Friday and the celebration of Easter on Sunday, what if we also prepared to listen to the one who Jesus promised would speak to us on Thursday? And so I want to unpack what Jesus says this counselor will do, because I don't know about you, but I could use some counseling right now, or we could use some help of a counselor in the midst of a pandemic. And so Jesus speaks to what this counselor, what this advocate, what this helper, the Holy Spirit will do. 
the Holy Spirit will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, this is important. It can be a bit hard to unpack and understand, and so I want to help explain it just a little bit. In regard to sin, because people don't believe, the Holy Spirit is the one who is changing our hearts. We can't argue the world around us into believing. We don't debate people into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, that's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. The Holy Spirit's going to move in some powerful ways in, in your day. And he is going to change people's hearts, help them come face to face with the reality of sin and help them see and know a Savior who saves them. In regard to righteousness, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings us into a right relationship with God. We don't become good enough people by doing all the right things, by giving, by, by coming up with the right things to help other people. No, we, we are on good terms with God because the Holy Spirit brings us into faith to trust in the righteousness of Jesus that is given to us. And in regard to judgment, Jesus reminds us that there is an enemy, but he doesn't win. And he lies and he fights and he tempts, but Jesus wins. The enemy has power, but he stands condemned. The Holy Spirit helps us to trust in the victory of Jesus. And then there's this other statement that Jesus makes that I've often ignored. Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. In other words, Jesus has so many things he wants you to know that doesn't come until the Holy Spirit speaks it to you. Think about that. The disciples don't know that all that there is to know at this point. But the Holy Spirit is going to work and move and speak to them after Jesus dies. Let's unpack this a bit because it's an important truth that Jesus gives to us the night before the crucifixion. Jesus died so that you can hear God speak to you anytime, anywhere. Now before, before the time of Jesus, God spoke to people through prophets and dreams and visions and he showed up in some incredible ways. And during the time of Jesus, he speaks to the disciples one-on-one -on -one in person. But now Jesus is promising to all believers what he promised to the disciples. He promises that the Holy Spirit is going to talk to you and tell you things that you don't know. At one point, you could only hear from Jesus if you were next to Jesus or if God chose to speak to you. But now God speaks at any time to anyone because of the relationship that they have because of the work that Jesus does on the cross and by his resurrection. Now, let me be honest with you about my own spiritual journey. For most of my life, it's been easy to believe that God will convict me of my sin, but to believe that the Holy Spirit is in me working and speaking to me is a challenge. And some of you may be even at this point like, all right, why so much Holy Spirit stuff on Maundy Thursday? Like, what's going on? Um, this is the conversation that Jesus has on that night during that meal. And he says, the Holy Spirit guides you into all the truth. If you want to know what's true, ask. Because the Holy Spirit wants to speak truth to you. Do you want to know what you should do? Ask the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants to speak truth. Do you want to fight against the lies that you're believing? Ask because the Holy Spirit will, will give you truth to fight the lies. And here's the thing that's incredible. The Holy Spirit never disagrees with himself. So if you're not sure, he's not going to disagree with what he's already spoken through the scriptures. If you're not sure, sure if what you heard is from God, read the scriptures. That's why God gives it to us. So we know if what we heard matches the scriptures, we know it's from God. We know it's truth. That's also why God created us to be in relationship with one another in the church. And so if you hear something, ask, ask a friend, text, say, here's what I feel like God is speaking to me. And they can help you. They can help um, discern that and wrestle with that. If you hear something as you read, as you converse, as you 
pray, if it's true, it's from God. If it's not true, it's from the enemy. And this has been so important for me over the past few weeks. I've even had to be intentional on bad days to find quiet space, which is often nearly impossible right now, to find ways to listen to God in the midst of the chaos in my own home. For me, it's sometimes going on a walk and just um, to, to focus on a scripture and to ask God to speak and to listen, to listen to what God speaks in my thoughts, in my mind. And for me, it's not, it's not like an audible voice. It's what God speaks into my spirit. And sometimes it's an image. Sometimes it's um, a thought in my head. And notice how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit speaking to us. The Holy Spirit speaks what he hears. The Holy Spirit makes known what belongs to the Father and the Son. I want us to be a people that hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say. And from my own experience, the reason we don't hear is not usually because he's not speaking. It's that we're not listening. And if Holy Week for you has only been about the cross, that's okay. That's a big deal. It's a big part of Holy Week. Our sins are forgiven. But there is more, and we know that more especially comes on Sunday. But on Thursday, Jesus makes a promise connected to what happens on Sunday. Because it's that same power that raised Jesus from the dead on Sunday that speaks to us that Jesus promises on Thursday. Because Jesus here on Thursday is actually promising to us what Paul writes about in Romans 6 when he says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. God who lives inside of you speaks to you. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to you of the grace and the love and the hope of the Father. He's speaking to you about the love and the forgiveness and the power that comes in the resurrection. And that same advocate, that same counselor whose power raised Jesus from the dead, he doesn't leave you or stop speaking to you. There's no amount of isolation that separates you from his voice. There's no space in your home. There's no space in your neighborhood. There's no loss that you can experience that separates you from his voice. There's no amount of fear that he can't speak against. There's no amount of guilt or shame that he can't overcome. So just as we see and as we look to an Easter, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's in us speaking to us. And he does it in ways that are both objectively true, right? Easter is an objective historical reality, but he also does it in ways that are deeply personal. Because there are also words and ideas and thoughts coming from the God who lives inside of you, speaking to you into your own spirit, reminding you of his truth, to combat the lies, reminding you of his peace to combat the anxiety, reminding you of his grace and mercy to combat the sin. And so listen, because Jesus says, all right, things are going to be different. They're going to look a lot different than what you expected. But I have promised you a helper have promised you an advocate. And so when you experience the accusations of the enemy, don't listen to his voice. Listen to mine. Jesus, we thank you for that amazing promise. That amazing promise that you have given us a helper, that you have given us a counselor, that in the midst of every fear and anxiety, in the midst of every heartache, in the midst of grief, that we have a counselor who is with us. 
And so Holy Spirit, as counselor, we ask that you would give us what we need. That you would teach us to hear your voice. That you would remind us in our own spirits of the truth that we need to hear. That you would help us to find the rhythms and the moments to listen to you. We pray that you would speak truth that would combat the lies that we so often believe. That you would speak peace to help fight against our fears. That you would remind us that we're loved. That we are known. That we are forgiven. We pray that you would speak to us and that you would help us to be in these moments the people that you've created us to be. And that we would see that the same power that we put our hope in, the same power that endures the cross and the same power that overcomes death itself and the resurrection, that same power lives in us because of you. So give us peace and hope knowing that truth. In your name we pray. Amen.